Welcome back inside the Daily Press. I'm Ross Furukawa. Today, I'm here with star reporter Clara Harder. How you doing, Clara? I'm good, thanks. It's good to have you on the podcast. Yeah, I'm really excited to be here. Uh, it's going to be a fun and interesting episode as we look back on, you know, what the 2020 um, and discuss all the shocking stories that define this this pretty crazy year. Wow. Okay. That sounds exciting. And if you guys have been listening to any podcasts, fairly common format, we're all kind of looking backwards at 2020 and then, but we're also going to take a look at a little bit forwards at 2021, right? Yeah. We're going to close off this episode by um, talking about some of the headlines we're really excited to hopefully publishing in 2021. Um, and we're also going to throw in some fun 2020 trivia. I'm going to see how closely Ross has been paying attention to the news and oh you can also play along at home. All right. All right. Put me to the task. <laughs> so here we go. We're going to go five. We're going to go stories that, that defined our year and then we're going to trivia and then we're going to look at see what we're looking forward to. Right. Yeah. Okay, let's get into let's it. Let's do it. So, uh, Clara, what's our first story? Yeah, we're going to jump right into March 17th, um, kind of the beginning of coronavirus as we've come to know it. So the article was, Santa Monica shuts down as coronavirus spreads regionally. Okay, so, you know, that's been the subject of the year, right? Coronavirus it's impacted almost everything we have done. Uh, and it's funny when I was looking at the year in review. So right now, folks, we're running a series of articles in the paper and on the site that are kind of little snippets of all the year in reviews. And what I found was really interesting was back in on a January 11th, uh, there was an article about this strange flu that was happening in China that they were shutting down a city. Didn't even mention the, the city's name. But that was back in January. But yes, on March 17th, I guess the defining subject of the year was coronavirus shut us down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, that was definitely uh, the most defining story of the year by far. And it affected everything we've done all the way up until today. By the way, we're, so, we're six feet apart. And uh, we've both been tested, um, if you're wondering at home. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was a big deal. It shut, it shut down everything. I know that on the uh, on the Sunday, which was the 14th, prior to everything shutting down in Santa Monica, was the LA Marathon, right? So we had hundreds of thousands of people coming through Santa Monica a few days before we all got shut down. Um, and what a, what a change, right? From having huge groups of people and all these people in town um, to just not doing anything, being completely shut down. And uh, Clara, where were you? I was in Manhattan in New York City. Um, I was about to leave for spring break, pretty excited with all of my friends, um, till we realized that that was a foregone conclusion. College was pretty much over. Um, But I had quite a lot of luck to land in West LA, uh, where I passed quarantine, and then have spent the rest of the year covering some pretty exciting stories with the Daily Press. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Um, So during that during that shutdown period, the first, what, three, four weeks, just complete lockdown. Nobody knew what to do. We kept publishing. We were still considered an essential service. Um, yeah. But one of the big stories that we wrote um, as a result of everything shutting down was what? 
It was a thrilling, gripping, enticing list of all the restaurants offering takeout and delivery. <laughs> um, which may not sound like a groundbreaking story uh, by itself, but it was actually one of the highest read pages that generated a lot of traffic. And it really reflected the kind of community desire to support our local businesses and our restaurants uh, who have gone through a lot this year. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when you talk, we're going to get into silver linings later, but that's definitely one of the things that I felt, you know, by publishing that list of everybody that was open for takeout and delivery, you know, it really brought forth a, the number of restaurants that we have here in Santa Monica and how many are local and everyone's desire to go and, and patronize them. Like that was a big deal. Everybody really rallied around the restaurants this year um, as a result of, of, uh, of COVID. I think prior to this, we may have had a, you know, had the tendency to take local restaurants or just food in general for granted. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, there was definitely a run. I don't know if you remember all this, but there was a run on food and a run on paper goods. Of course, we all remember that. Yeah, um, penne was like the hottest item in the grocery store after toilet paper. <laughs> toilet paper, penne, and hand sanitizer. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I definitely had a week there where I was using like coffee filters for toilet paper. <laughs> Bad times. <laughs> That's yeah. a big one. But yeah, local businesses and restaurants really uh, took off in the summer as well when we got Alfresco dining and, and everything spilled out onto Main Street in particular, but all over Santa Monica, really. And it created this kind of fun, vibrant, safe, almost European style, like dining on the pavement experience. Yeah, yeah that's, that was really cool. And, and you know, the, that pivot, A, was, had been in the works before COVID, but that we were able to make that shift that quickly. And it seemed like the next day they had to restripe the streets, put up new K-rails, and just invited everybody to kind of take, take, uh, take their stuff outside. Yeah, it was pretty amazing to see how rapidly the community adapted, both people coming out to the restaurants, you know, city government giving all these last minute permits. I mean, also, who didn't love like margaritas to go? That was pretty awesome. Oh, yeah. And yeah, even now um, kind of continues to blossom. Even the restaurants are temporarily shut down. You've got all those beautiful murals painted on the K-rails that yep. were part of Alfresco. So, yeah, don't underestimate dining. It was it was a hot topic this year. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, like I uh, I. Speaking to the owner of a guy who opened up a bento box place on Main Street, and this guy Sky, and he opened up Edo Box. So, you've ever tried Edo Box? It's a really cool. Like, talk about high-end Japanese bento boxes. For long. They're expensive, but they're delicious. Um, but he was telling me about all that in, in general. The LA food scene. He had just gone to try and open up another restaurant somewhere else, and his partner had worked for uh, the Patina Group, which is like event dining and and that type of catering, and um, you know, the word's out that, that Main Street Santa Monica was kind of the alfresco dining place to go and open. By the way, we had a lot of space available. So, you know, there's, uh, there's lots of new ideas and concepts that were actually opening in the summertime, which is fairly unique to LA. Yeah. And something that I also thought was really cool is you saw a lot of collaboration between businesses. Like the restaurant industry never really had a strong union presence. Restaurant owners were just really focused on their own businesses. But, you know, with the different levels of restrictions they've had to deal with, they've kind of come together and started politically organizing. So, I mean, we covered a lot on the um, Save LA Brewers, which was an effort to reopen um, outdoor breweries as outdoor restaurants. And, you know, that was big for Santa Monica Brew Works here. Yeah. Um, there were various petitions launched by restaurant owners. 
Um, the LA Hospitality Coalition grew really strong, um, which has a bunch of Santa Monica restaurants in their leadership. Um, so I think that was another really cool part of dining and hopefully that collective bargaining and unionization is a benefit that will spread past the end of the pandemic. Yeah. The end of the pandemic. <laughs> that almost seems weird to say, you know, I like, know. What is that? oh my gosh, how close are we to that? Um, closer, closer than March 17th. Right. Around April 24th, we started publishing this list of, of restaurants that were out and everybody kind of started bouncing back. We got the outdoor dining thing going. And then what happened? Oh, and then um, something happened that really took all the focus off of coronavirus um, at all for, for, you know, a couple of chunks of weeks. And um, that was the big Black Lives Matter protest movement in the wake of the murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. Huge amounts of people pouring out to the streets in crowds that, you know, hadn't been seen since the beginning of the pandemic, but really marching for positive change. Yeah, as far as I'm aware, it was one of the only movements in Santa Monica's recent history that kind of dredged up and discussed, you know, Santa Monica's racist past um, and led to a lot of positive reforms as the year went on. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was, you know, we're, we've known we've been known here to, to do uh, protesting and all sorts of activation. Um, but this one was different. This one had definitely had, you know, an immediate, well, certainly through cities across the country, it had an immediate, um, you know, discussion around police enforcement and police budgets. Uh, we certainly took a hard look at ourselves here in Santa Monica at, um, you know, our government and how we operate our police departments. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, that it was definitely like something I have not seen since I've been here for the last 19 years. Um, but what was, what was, what happened? So we had, we had, we had a protest and then we had looting and violence. So two completely separate things. The, the day of, it just it all kind of collapsed together. But the further we get away from it, the more we see um, how how separate those two events were. Absolutely. Um, so the article that we picked to represent that was published on um, May 31st, and it was Santa Monica issues 4 p.m. curfew after looters target downtown stores during protests against police violence. Yeah. Um, so you were here in Santa Monica. What was that kind of energy and experience like? What was the public reaction in the moment? Yeah. Um, it was crazy. So, you know, if you guys, if for those of you that are listening, are listening now, I want to say it's our right around episode 30, 32. Uh, Matt and I had, had, had gotten, gone out that day during the riots and had walked around and I, I was going around to pick up my kids cause they were, they were in the protest. They were going to check it out. My family was out there and, um, and Matt went out to cover it. And then as I was home waiting for <laughs> my tribe to call me and say, come pick us up. Uh, I was watching the television and, you know, they were looting Santa Monica place. And so I immediately got in my car and went out to go fetch them. Um, it was a dark day. It was probably the darkest day that I've been. Well, certainly by far, it's been the darkest day in Santa Monica in my 19 years here. Um, and you know, the subsequent, uh, destruction of small business was just kind of like a gut punch to local business owners, you know, to us. I mean, we're a, we're a daily newspaper and a local news organization and a lot of our customers are no longer in business. You know, the people that spend money with us to advertise and promote themselves. So it was a gut punch for us as well. And as it was for anybody who was witnessing this type of behavior, this type of, you know, fighting violence on our city streets that we all call home. So that was a brutal day. 
And uh, if you guys haven't listened to the kind of the first person account and in our podcast series, we certainly went over what we saw that day. And then we had a subsequent interview with the chief of police and the city, the newest city manager. Um, and they kind of gave their take on it. Yeah. We had a couple follow-ups after that as well. Yeah. And the police here definitely came under some fire for their handling um, of the looting and of the protest and the way their attention was divided. And yeah. There were a lot of kind of, long-term changes that happened in Santa Monica as a result of those events and the majority of which I would say were quite popular. I mean, we did have the resignation of the police chief in response to how that event was handled. Um, but there was new policies instituted in Santa Monica city government. Um, the black agenda was taken up, um, by city council members. And we also saw, you know, some big change in the form of our city council. Um, in the following weeks in the election, we had, uh, Krista McCowan, who was also on the podcast, mm -hmm. um, the first uh, black female city council member, which is a pretty historic moment in Santa Monica. Um, and then, yeah, we also had a slate of challengers kind of sweep almost, maybe not everyone saw it coming, um, onto the dais in this round of elections. I don't know if you want to talk about that a little more. Sure, sure. So, we, you know, uh, I mean... This year was marked by a ma major election, um, not just at the presidential level, but also particularly here at the local level. Um, you know, the $5 history on this is that incumbents in Santa Monica win. Like people that run our city council typically win. I mean, historically. Um, and even to the extent where if you look at the percentage of folks that get appointed to the city, so they don't run, they get appointed in case somebody leaves in the, in, you know, the mid-election cycle. Um, those that get appointed usually win. So the, if you're an incumbent in Santa Monica, it's, historically it's been a really strong position to run for office. This year we had three non-incumbents um, take three or four seats. So that's a big deal. That was and, – and due to the series of events, I mean, th there's a fairly logical explanation for that. What do you think that is? Well, there was definitely dissatisfaction with the status quo in Santa Monica um, on a lot of levels. I definitely think um, conversations around racial justice and, you know, it was a predominantly white council of reelected incumbent council members. We had two um, Latinx candidates that were elected, Oscar de la Torre and Christine Parra, mm -hmm. um, both of whom have been very outspoken on issues of racial justice and the important of importance of increased representation in Santa Monica. Uh, but then also, I feel like there was a little bit of dissatisfaction with overdevelopment in Santa Monica and the idea that um, the city council was making a lot of decisions, you know, in the economic interest um, of businesses, but perhaps not for the quality of life of people who live in Santa Monica. And I'm also guessing that kind of the break from tourism and, and streams of people rushing in have given locals a chance to really appreciate their kind of sleepy beach town as it hasn't <laughs> been in many, many years. Yeah. Um, but kind of the simple things and what's nice about, you know, a quiet walk along the beach um, and perhaps why that might be more valuable than, you know, a new high rise building. Um, and we've definitely seen the newly elected city council members uh, vote back against development. Um, I know the Plaza project was recently canceled. Um, and so that that's a big development between 4th and 5th on Arizona. Uh, big downtown, publicly owned lot, for those of you that don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So just definitely a really exciting um, election season. And I think change is in the air, you know, both nationally and locally. 
Um, so that's just another silver lining of tumultuous year and yeah, yeah. tumultuous <laughs> event. So moving on, uh, what was the next big story that kind of shaped this year? Yeah. Well, with the pandemic, there were obviously a lot of, of tragic deaths that the community really felt um, deeply, and we were publishing a lot more obituaries than we would in a normal year, um, many of which were circulated and read a lot by our readers um, and meant a lot to the community. And one of the highest read one um, was the obituary for Mike Vaughn that we published on June 27th. Mm-hmm. Now, Ross, Mike Vaughn was a good friend of the Daily Press and a friend of yours, right? Yeah. Yeah, Mike was a very well-known guy. Um, for those of you that you know know the Dogtown folks, he was one of those. He was one of the original like surf skate culture guys in town. He was young. I mean, he was forty-eight years old. Mike was always a friend of the Santa Monica Daily Press. He always insisted on sharing an office with us because he just always wanted to be connected to to what we do. He had a printing company called Positive Existence Printing, and his family, the Vaughn family, has been around Santa Monica for generations. If you guys have seen uh, DSJ printing on Pico, that's a Vaughn family. Um, and and certainly everybody knows the Vaughns that has been around for a while. Um, and everybody knew Mike. I mean, he had started a uh, paddleboard company called Pro Sup Shop in the marina. And, you know, kind of like our editor Matt said the other day, he said you couldn't go anywhere in Santa Monica or the marina and not run into Mike Vaughn in some way, shape, or form. I mean, he really pushed um, surf culture and, you know, gosh, the name of his company is called Positive Existence. He did everything in a positive way. And then, of course, uh, he really brought stand-up paddleboarding to the L.A. area, um, which is now the largest stand-up paddleboarding company in L.A. County. I heard he, yeah, he was definitely a, a very avid stand-up paddleboarder and maybe, in your experience, a little too avid on, on occasion. <laughs> yeah, you know, Mike was one of those guys that always pushed the limits. Uh, you know, he and I started paddleboarding Gosh, really, you know, call it 2007 here in Santa Monica. And one time he talked me into paddleboarding from uh, from the Malibu Pier to the Santa Monica Pier. And, you know, the geography of that of the bay is that once you get halfway between Santa Monica and Malibu, you're way out there in the middle of the ocean. And, of course, we went out there with no shirts on and no leashes. And <laughs> this, you know, boat of tourists came up and asked us if we were okay. It was like, you know, we were, must look like idiots, but... That, that very typical Mike Vaughn story, that guy got a lot of people into almost trouble, but not quite enough. You know, I'm sure he was way more confident than I was out there a couple miles out in the ocean. Um, but he will be missed, and, and my gosh, that, that story went crazy. I mean, it got tens of thousands of views within just a few days, so the word spread quickly about Mike Vaughn. So the next big story uh, was definitely politically motivated and very timely, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this was a story that we wrote on October 10th. Uh, what was it, Clara? It was ballots found in Pico neighborhood trash. Ah. And this story really caught on like wildfire. Um, actually thanks to a retweet from Maggie Haberman of the New York times. who I guess is an (laughs) avid reader of the Santa Monica daily press. That's right. Um, and it actually managed to crash our website for the better part of the day. Um, because ballots and trash and voter fraud and and the election was just such a heated topic that everyone was uh, nationally incredibly focused on and i think there there was a lot of fear um in the run-up to the election about what was going to happen i mean in santa monica you saw all of the stores were boarded up 
Yep. Um, you know, for a good week before the election, all we could hear from the office was, you know, hammers and nails and yeah. everywhere you walked around, there was giant plywood boards being taken out of trucks. Um, so it was a really tense moment, but it, as we now know, um, for many people led to quite a positive outcome, um, and kind of a collective sigh of relief. Yeah. Yeah. And setting the table for that time, like, like you said, when this story came out, businesses are being boarded up. Everybody's still really nervous because uh, the, the memory of the riots and it, that's all really fresh in our, in our brains. Um, and then there was the big story that lasted for almost an entire week, which is a long time this election cycle of Trump defunding the U.S. Postal Service. Mm-hmm. So there was worry about them cutting corners. Um, there was worry about ballot fraud. There's worry, There's all sorts of things that were circulating in everyone's heads. Yeah, and in this instance, it was just kind of a good Samaritan who was, I think maybe even walking his dog or just walking around the block, and, and he noticed you know, a bizarre pile in the trash, and he looked in, and it, it looked like a whole building's worth of, of mail had just been dumped out. Um, and yeah, it, it really took off. And I think it's a cool story on the power of local journalism, um, and why it's important that kind of things at the local level, um, are told and and shared. Yeah. That one, that one definitely made it out. Thank you, Maggie Haberman for crashing our website. (laughs) (laughs) So now we jump into the second part of the podcast. And the last time we did this, we were so confused about the pending shutdown, which we're now in, by the way. We did a little trivia. So Clara has now written some very difficult questions for me to answer in the trivia portion of the podcast. So yeah. are we're going to test how closely Ross has been following the news oh, this man. year. Too much pressure. Yeah. Um, All right, go for it. So going back to when it first began, our first trivia question is, when was the first recorded case of COVID in LA County? Was it A, January 22nd, B, February 10th, C, December 27th, 2019, or D, March 1st. Ooh, this is tough. Well, I'm going to go definitely say it wasn't March 1st. Um, Are you sure? L.A. County. I remember, okay, so the first announcements we had out of China were in January 11th. So I'm going to go with February 10th. (laughs) (laughs) You were really close, though. You were very close. It was actually January 22nd, um, and it was the fourth recorded case of COVID in the U.S. Okay. So we knew about this. We COVID got here January 20. So I guess it took us almost three months to figure this one out. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Question number two. Okay. How many supplements has the city of Santa Monica issued to its emergency orders since they were first declared on March 13th? Is it A, 12 supplements, B, 23, C, 31, or D, 604? Wow. Okay. So let's just be clear what a supplement is. All right. Yes. Um, so the emergency orders declared a local emergency and allowed the city to shut down different activities or put, uh, limits on capacities and things like that. And then every time that they do a change to the, um, emergency orders, they issue a supplement and these supplements, uh, cover a whole range of things, you know, whether it's the local eviction moratoriums, mm-hmm. whether it's, um, rent relief packages or playgrounds opening or closing muscle beach opening, um, yeah, anything that the city does at a local level to respond to the COVID emergency uh, triggers a supplemental order. Okay, and it's not one supplement per change. No, it's, they're they all kind of grouped in, they together. In, okay, all right, so that makes a difference. 
So what I do know is that, my gosh, we've gone through a lot of changes. <laughs> it seems oh, like yeah. everything's changing all the time. Um, so it's definitely not 12. It's got to be more than 12. Uh, 23 also seems low. I'm going with 31. All right. Ooh, not 604? Not so. I mean, I mean, I bet you there's at least 604 changes, but if you group them, I think 31. Okay. That was a good guess. Nailed good it. All right. Okay. Next question. So what Santa Monica restaurant did County Supervisor Sheila Kuehl dine at mere hours after voting to close outdoor dining? <laughs> okay. What are my choices? <laughs> a, Forma. B, Cola Pasta. C, Il Forno Trattoria, or D, The Cheesecake Factory? Okay. This one isn't fair because I know exactly where she dines every Tuesday. <laughs> Which is? Because my office used to be over there, and it's Il Forno Trattoria. Correct again. Boom. But that's a tough one. That Impressive. one's out on 29th and Ocean Park. Again, great local restaurant. Joseph, great guy. Let's, let's, uh, let's patronize that guy. He got a, he got a lot of criticism. <laughs> Because of that. Yeah. All right. Next question. Um, which of these headlines received the most views on the Daily Press this year? Was it A, L.A. County to extend stay-at-home orders through August? B, limitations put on landlords' entry into tenants' home during the COVID-19 emergency? C, Santa Monica puts temporary moratorium on evictions? Or D, adult entertainer shoots video in Ocean Park Library? Wow. Okay. So this is, this is, uh, the most views on smdp.com. And, uh, so I got to remember we're on the internet. This is like what, what gets hot on the internet. So I'm going to, I'm going to go with the LA County extend stay at home order. Uh, I'm going to go with no on that because that's pretty broad. And everybody had that story. Limitations on landlords to get into tenants home. That's pretty specific to renters. I'm going to go with a no on that. Uh, the Santa Monica puts temporary moratorium on evictions. Well, everybody did that, so everybody had that, although that was a very important story. I, this is the internet, so I'm going with adult entertainer shoots video in Ocean Park Library. Oh, you're too good at this. All right. You know what? <laughs> <But> true. <laughs> That's wow. a story that actually predates um, the outbreak of COVID, or at least our response to the outbreak of COVID that was early in, early yeah. in 2020, and it, it was a Hot, hot um, article. I think it got over 28,000 views. Wow. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, which of these is not an insult that President Trump, former, well, I guess he's still president. Okay. Which of these is not an insult that President Trump called uh, California Representative Adam Schiff this year? A, shifty Schiff. B, pencil neck Schiff. C, sleepy creepy Schiff. Or a D, watermelon head shift? Ooh, you know, I really tried to tune out, particularly at the end, like President Trump's, you know, I'm, I'm sure he did these at rallies. Like I, I just stopped listening to those after, uh, I don't know how long I did. But um, watermelon head shift seems very kind of out of character for, for Trump. Shifty shift sounds right up his alley. Pencil neck, that's eh, about, that's what a bully would say. Creepy, cre sleepy, creepy. I mean, I guess I'm going with water, watermelon head. He did not call him a watermelon head. Yeah, oh. yeah he absolutely did. Um, Adam Schiff was actually uh, quite involved in the impeachment uh, mm -hmm. back earlier this year. And yeah, that's when he invoked President Trump's wrath, who, yeah, said he had a watermelon head. And I was 
on a press briefing call with Adam Schiff uh, for an article a couple months ago, and he said that was his favorite um, <laughs> insult that President <laughs> Trump called him because it was quite creative. Yeah. Well, those were um, all of my trivia questions. I believe you got three out of five. Wow. That's, that's pretty good. I don't that's... know how everyone at home listening did, but <laughs> I'm, I'm suitably impressed. Very good. Thank you. Um, Clara, shifting gears, since we just went through shifty shift, <laughs> um, what are three headlines you're hoping to hear this year? Like if you're going to look at in the future and say, okay, what, let's look at, what are we, what are we hoping for? What, what are you hoping to write this year? And these aren't necessarily stories in the mix or anything, but what are you hoping that you see this year and that we, that we write about? So my primary beat um, is I'm an education reporter for the Daily Press. So I am really hopefully looking forward to the day I write the article, Children Return to the Classroom. Mm. Um, because it's it's really been a struggle. Um, distance learning hasn't been easy on anyone. And uh, it's led to a lot of discussion, you know, a lot of controversy, a lot of debate over what the best way to safely return is. Um, and I, for one, have been really impressed by all of the work that teachers have put in this year. I've written a couple articles on how they've gone above and beyond interviews with different teachers who are saying that they are spending three to four times as much time preparing for online learning, giving up days of their weekend. Um, and yeah, I, I know that it's, it's a struggle for all kids, you know, especially English language learners or special education kids, but even just, you know, your average student who, who misses their teacher and their friends. And I, you know, I'm assuming that you can probably relate having some children of your own. Yeah, I do. I do. You know, so gosh, the education thing, that's so brutal. My oldest just took a gap year from college because, you know, the, everything was up in the air. We didn't know what was going to happen. Um, so, you know, some good things came out of that, but, but I, but getting to the local, I, have, I also have a freshman in, at Samo High and I've watched many times her, her instruction. And I will say this, I agree with you. I think the instruction I've watched has been exceptional. Like they, it's great. They have whiteboards, they have engagement, they know uh, who's, who's on and who's off. I mean, it's not like the first time that we tried, like back in March when we went to distance learning and, Nobody really knew what to do. You know, everyone was just trying trying different things and trying to make it work. But I think they've really improved on that, and I think the enrollment from this semester um, will be much better. But I agree, it's not adequate. I don't know any parent that's out there that's going to say this distance learning thing is great. <laughs> like it's just not. Not to discount the efforts that are going in behind it, but you just can't you can't uh, replace in-person learning. Yeah, And so, the kids, they don't get the socialization. So the little kids, that's what I really worry about. Like they need to get in with a bunch of kids and meet new people. And, you know, quite frankly, they, all, they need to get checked by their peers. I mean, so <laughs> you look at the behavior of young kids and if they don't, ha they don't get that kind of checks and balances from their peers, like, hey, that's not okay to do. Um, you know, they just don't learn that stuff. And um, so I think it's really important for young kids. Yeah. So I'd love to see that too. It'll be, it'll be a great day. Yeah. Um, what else? What else do you want to want to see this year? Okay. You know, I am praying and hoping that next year I will write the story that says Santa Monica hits herd immunity. Wow. Okay. Um, you know what? And I am quite optimistic. Uh, California has been lucky. We've gotten quite a lot of vaccines um, and they've been disseminated already quite widely to um, a lot of our healthcare workers uh, in Santa Monica. 
Um, I have a cousin who's an emergency room doctor in LA and both she and her husband, who's also a doctor, uh, got their vaccines recently, which was just talk about good news. Um, It was a really great moment happening at the same time as as kind of a dark period um, for LA right now as, as case counts are surging. Yeah. So in the new year, um, it'll be great to see the vaccine becoming more widely available to immunocompromised people. I would love to see it going to teachers as soon as possible. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and that herd immunity day, I, I think it's I think it's on the horizon in 2021. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was I was talking to my wife and her sister works. Both of her sisters work in healthcare, And they just got their vaccines. And she just made mention of this like low level stress that we all have. And then once you get the vaccine and you're, you've fought it a couple weeks or whatever, that that stress has just got to kind of go away. Like you are no longer, you know, in danger per se, right? Like still got to be careful and nothing is going to return to normal anytime soon. But that level of stress of, Hey, I might get sick. Hey, I might, (laughs) I might die if I get this thing. Like at least that is eradicated for those that are getting vaccinated. Um, hopefully we have a high level of vaccination here in Santa Monica. I know I'm going to get a vaccination and, you know, hopefully for essential services like media, we'll, we'll be <laughs> somewhere close on the line to the top. So the last headline I'd like to see us write in 2021 is a recovery of our business community, a recovery of our restaurants because they're the most visible and they really kind of define cities especially local restaurants. Um, I'd love to see a huge wave of, or I'd like to see the headline of a huge stimulus to help not just restaurateurs and small business owners, but also landlords that have been helping them and you know giving them a lot of rope to continue to operate their businesses and seeing a huge surge, a huge wave of live music events mm. and that all those things that we live here for, you know, I'd love to see this. I'd love to see the peer concerts come back. You know, this is, these are things that we just can't even fathom right now, but I'd love to see the big recovery story. I'd love to see the big restaurants are back. Retail is back. Events are back. Cause yeah. that's why we live here. Absolutely. That'll be real great. And I, I do think this year has given us a much deeper appreciation of local businesses and art and performers. And I'm hoping that tied into that recovery, um, you know, is some local legislation to preserve that and prioritize that. I mean, you saw uh, during the pandemic, there was a ban on, I think, fast food establishments on the promenade. Yeah. Um, I think that's pretty cool. You know, we don't need 35 Burger Kings or 27 Starbucks. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that prioritization of local business and, and hopefully that resurgence, I think will be really great to see and write about and for all of you guys to read about in yeah. 2021. That's right. That's right. I do think that the, you know, the, the big silver lining that came out of the pandemic is that just the awareness of locals to, you know, so everyone's furiously ordering stuff on Amazon, right? Because the word is don't go outside. Um, and when Amazon can't deliver in two days like they were before the pandemic, you know, it seemed like the collective consciousness of town went back to, we really need to support our local businesses. We really need to support our, our local restaurants. I'm going to take a swipe at these at these food delivery companies because we did pass legislation this year to limit the fees that they can take. Um, you know, they're not the solution. I mean, for, for our local restaurants, you know, what you really need to do, I think everyone kind of picked up on this in the last few months, 
because you really need to order to go and you need to go pick it up yourself, which by the way, gets you out of the house. <laughs> like, awesome. It's something to do. <laughs> Sign me up. You know, I know people that are excited to take the trash out. Like <laughs> I'm not there yet. Give me anything to do. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I did. I did hear a neighbor on my street. She was taking out her trash last week and she goes, Oh my gosh, I can smell trash again. I never thought I'd be so excited to smell trash, which yeah. I thought was about the most, you know, 2020 exclamation yeah, imaginable. Yeah. Go trash, go trash smell. No shortage <laughs> yeah, of that. Yeah, go yet. sense of smell and taste <laughs> and health um, in general. Oh yeah. The oh, she had the vid. Yeah, she okay. had the vid. I just got that. <laughs> All right. Well, look, um, this is the end of 2020. Thank goodness. I know, uh, you know, the beginning of 2021 looks a little dark just because we got major surges. But again, looking forward, forward, a few months into the future, um, we're sure hoping that uh, we're writing some different headlines this year. I think good things are coming. Yeah, and you guys will be hearing Clara much more on the podcast this this year. I know she's excited to do it. And uh, I appreciate you all listening this year. So uh, thanks for supporting The Daily Press. Thanks for listening inside The Daily Press. Clara, any closing words? Yeah, thank you so much for listening. Happy New Year's. (laughs) We'll see you guys in 2020. All right. 2021. 2021. No more 2020. Goodbye, 2020. (laughs) The end. We are out. (laughs) Thanks for joining us today on Inside the Daily Press. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts, whether that be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or elsewhere. Music for the Inside the Daily Press podcast is brought to you by The Brig Band. The Brig Band is an LA jam band that has been playing live since 2002. Regular members and guests have played professionally with everyone from Miles Davis, Herbie Hancock, and Stevie Wonder, to The Doors, Fishbone, and Steely Dan. To find out where and when you can hear them live, head to thebrigband.com.